Hello, everybody, and welcome to the All-In Summer Game Evolver Gorilla Direct Fest of the Devs 2023. I'm Contra 3, the Eric Wars. And I'm We Love Sethamari, Reroll Plus Royal Reverie, and what in the world are you talking about, Eric? Was that even English, what you just said? The All-In Direct, for short. It's June, and everyone's having their own directs and and showcases, and I thought we should have one, too. I mean, we do have a ton of announcements to make. We do? Oh, you better believe it. We're going to announce this past week was the 30th anniversary of Link's Awakening. And with Zelda still fresh in our minds, we're announcing a developer spotlight today on Grezzo, the hottest free agent on Nintendo's radar. I mean, those, those don't really, those sound like facts more than announcements. We're also going to announce this past week was National Yo-Yo Day with a super hype follow-up announcement that today's top five is going to be all about the most underrated implement in video game history. It's become clear to me that you have a fundamental misunderstanding of the word announcement. We're also going to announce we're shadow dropping a game during the All In Direct. Oh, well, okay, hang on. Now, that's an announcement. Wait, wait a minute. What game? Annalyn. Okay, no. Sorry. Sorry, dude. That, that game was already shadow dropped earlier this week during the Gorilla Collective Showcase. Huh? It, it's still an amazing, you know, throwback arcade experience. And in today's Indie Showcase, we're talking to the amazingly talented person behind it, Cruz Elroy. No. <laughs> No, I mean, it's cool, but no! It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And honestly, this all indirect that you're describing, it just kind of sounds like a really good episode of our podcast anyway. It does sound like a really good episode. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we may not have gotten our shadow drop, but I'm still very much looking forward to a really good episode of our podcast. So let's get it started. It's time to go all in. That's right, everybody. We are super thrilled to be here with another episode of All In, a Nintendo podcast, the weekly Nintendo variety show reaching every week. No shells left unturned. No point is left unearned. We've got a great show for you today. Uh, we're a really looking drop. not a not quite a shadow drop, but we're uh, really looking forward to uh, a great indie showcase, a great top five, a developer spotlight here on the show. It's going to be a good one, folks. Um, but Eric. You know what we do here each and every week to start off the show. Yeah, we may not. It may not be a proper all in direct this week. However, that is not to say that we don't have a ton of amazing sponsors to shout out. That's actually true. Good, good call. Um, Our sponsors are, of course, the amazing patrons. At patreon.com slash all in podcast, a ton of friends and supporters over there making the dreams come true. We appreciate every single one of you. And we like to thank you here at the very start of our show every week, uh, especially our golden banana tier patrons like Rob Yapel, third strongest mole, Sean, Sean O'Baggins, Ashton, Tim A, AKA Neo prime 33, AKA Nintendo dad. Number four, Matt shy guy, city Murray, Phelan Ward, Bill Tucker, Marcus O'Neill, Liam D Bowser, Gamer Jason and Andrew Wilkins. Thank you so much 
to our golden banana bunch. Moving into our Triforce tier, Eric. We need to thank Josh Vaughn, the godfather of Tingle Love Tuesday. We need to thank John Datfast Cummins of the Retrologic Podcast, as well as the On Topic Retro Podcast. We need to thank the Globetrotten Jet Setting Nintendo Hub and Sparky of the Nintendo Hub on YouTube. Adam Caparello of the Retro Groove Podcast, as well as Octorock 1982 on YouTube. Shy Guy, the other half of our Shy Guy Mod Squad. Thank you, Shy Guy. Danielina Hosa, Dan and Luma, Solo Something, and the legend himself. The man who deserves an announcement every time he walks in the room, Uncle Randy. <laughs> World premiere, Uncle Randy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> World premiere gameplay of That's Uncle right. Randy. <laughs> That's right. I've seen plenty of gameplay footage of Uncle Randy. Can confirm, game of the year. Uncle Randy. Game of the- game of the year uh no you guys are all game of the year in our hearts thank you all so much for your continued love and support we really appreciate you those fine folks have access to a ton of exclusive content at patreon.com slash all in podcast things like all in side quest things like the two dollar hero cast things like shout outs on the show voting rights things like discounts on our merch at bit.ly slash all in merch not too shabby for just a couple of dudes talking about Nintendo on the internet, if I do say so myself, my friend. Um, So those folks throw bones our way, and we appreciate that. You can support us entirely for free, though, if you don't have any bones to throw by dropping some words, Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and Audible. You can leave us five-star written reviews that I will shout out, and uh, of course, on Spotify, you can leave us anonymous five-star ratings. Those are very appreciated as well. Help us climb up the ranks, and uh, and we appreciate you for doing that. Both all of that out of the way, my friend. What's been going on in your world this week, dude? All right. So we did our massive, massive review yeah. last week of The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. But honestly, like, I'm still playing it. I'm still just wrapped up in this amazing world. I've surpassed 200 hours at this point, but still... Like, I'm still finding stuff to do. I'm still finding, like, the Sage's Will. And I'm actually cleaning up a lot of the monster hunts, like the Gleox, and uh, finding the the rest of the the clothing uh, and the outfits that I haven't gotten yet. And trying to fight with myself about how far down the rabbit hole I'm going to go when it comes to the Koroks. Uh, <laughs> But still, I mean, even just legitimately just like running around in Hyrule for a while is still so much more enjoyable to me than than so much else at this point. I just love it so much. But, I mean, you you, you can't live in Hyrule forever, Seth. You do have to move on. And I have been putting some more time into some other Mm. games. One game that got shadow dropped this week which we're actually going to be talking about quite a bit later on as a matter of fact we may even be joined by someone mm. to talk about that game later on i am of course talking about anna lynn which got shadow dropped this week during the gorilla collective have been playing a little bit of that this week in addition uh to that a couple other games that were shadow dropped this week this time from the nintendo nso service yes uh, they checked out a couple of those, uh, you know, uh, Blaster Master and Harvest Moon and like having Kirby Tilt and Tumble 
I've been on playing Nintendo that. Switch. That's been fun, dude. Yeah, and being it's I'm still trying to figure out how to do it with my controller because. I think I just got to do it in handheld mode. I assume that's the way you're playing it. No, I did it. I've done it in both. You're doing it. In, yeah, I've done I'm both. I'm finding it. I'm finding it a little unwieldy to use my controller. Maybe I just need to get good. I'm sure that's the case. But, <laughs> well, you uh, got to calibrate it. You got to go into the. Yeah. Uh, you do that whole that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, but it is still really cool. I I cannot believe we actually have Kirby Tilt and Tumble on the Nintendo Switch. Just continuing Nintendo's steady stream of games featuring the pink puffball it genuinely feels like we've gotten a different kirby game every three months or so on the nintendo switch going back the past few years it is insane how well kirby fans are eating uh but you know just yeah that just had dude having harvest moon the og Mm -hmm. harvest moon on the nintendo switch oh my god what a landmark game i'm so happy we if I didn't have such a ridiculous backlog with so many other insanely hype games coming out on the near future, I would so happily put a ton of time into Harvest Moon and properly, properly give that game a playthrough. It is like it is required reading when it comes to like video game history. Uh, the you know, it may have been eventually outshone by its imitators, but the original and like some of the first couple follow-ups, man, what trailblazers those games were. So happy to have those on the NSO. Uh, but in addition to that, I have been playing, we have been playing more beyond that, but we can't actually play talk about it oh quite yet little flex little humble brag <laughs> i can well, i don't even say like humble brag like i just don't want to get just, sued well that's know? true yeah we we are we are sworn to secrecy after exactly all. yeah we are in we, you know we're, we're kind of guys we got we're playing embargoed stuff we can't even tell you the people we're talking to all right yeah you wouldn't believe us if we told you no, it's not that serious, but it, but we have been playing some some cool stuff, and we'll tell you about it next week. <laughs> Absolutely, we will. Uh, but it has been uh, it has been nice, kind of venturing outside of Hyrule and reminding myself as amazing as transcendent. Frankly, with like, I'm I'm not even being hyperbolic when I say that as genuinely transcendent as that game is to to leave and realize like, oh my god, the grass is still just as green on the other side. There's still so many other amazing games left to experience, left to play, left to just immerse yourself in. You know, we... uh, People throw around the term golden age, I think, a little bit too frequently. But we are truly spoiled in this day and age when it comes to amazing content. A lot of good games. We have more great games than you and I could ever, ever play in our lifetimes. And the fact that we get to come here every, like it it just hits me occasionally that the fact that you and I just get to come together every week and talk about this astoundingly amazing industry uh, for all of our equally amazing fans. Just wow. Just wow. But, but what about you, buddy? Yeah, I uh, I've sort of been. Um, I'm still playing a little Tears. Of the, I got a little Tears of the Kingdom update for y'all. Actually, if anybody's been following my uh, my saga of trying to get that Majora's Mask 
paraglider fabric. I finally got it. I nice. I have scanned that. <laughs> How many scans amiibo. do you think it took you? I mean, I can tell you, I scanned it every day since the game came out. I mean, so I scanned it every day for nearly a month uh, <laughs> before I finally got it. But I'm happy to report at 12:19 a.m. Central Daylight Time on Thursday, oh June 8th, 2023. He wrote the time down. <laughs> it finally happened for me. Uh, finally <laughs> got it. Uh, the Majora's Mask fabric, and I'm very happy. That was the last uh, glider fabric I needed. So is it as glorious as you hoped it would be? It's pretty dang good. I mean, like it's <laughs> it's it's you know, like it's kind of it's one of those things where like I was doing it out of principle. If I wanted to, course, I could have yeah. reset the clock and grinded it out and everything. But I was like, you no, and I don't do that. I'm yeah. not gonna I'm not gonna let it beat me. You know, so I just kept going. I just would turn it on. Sometimes if I was up at like, like in this situation, if I was up at midnight, I would just grab my switch, turn it on, scan it real quick. And sure enough, this time just happened to be the time. And I have, I I would have a little moment every time I did it, looking at that amiibo a good, like 30 seconds. And I'm just like, is today going to be the day? Is it today going to be, is today going to be the day you're going to do it? And normally it would just be like a rusty knight's broadsword. And I would just kind of put it back on my desk defeated but uh not this time man i finally got it so very nice yeah. very nice i will say i'm rocking the gliok paraglider fabric and that it thing is, is a good noise a gliok one. one is noise a good one indeed so but yeah i'm still you know i there's a few things i'm still kind of like messing around tears of the kingdom i'll turn it on i've been playing a little that diablo 4 i'm not going to talk about that on our nintendo show but i've been playing that diablo 4 i will say yeah, shoutouts to to Anna Lynn. You're going to hear much more about that later on in the show, but just a real yep. quick like kind of synopsis of what Anna Lynn is. It is a the way I kind of describe it is almost like Pac-Man meets Spelunky. Like it's like a like an arcade style platformer with the sort of trappings of like a retro arcade Pac-Man kind of experience. And it is very, very good. Again, you're going to hear a lot more about it later on in the show. I won't talk too much about it here, but I just wanted people to like kind of be aware right here at the top that Annalyn is out. It did shadow drop and we were very fortunate to be able to cover it to heck and back. Um, and it's, it's really good and it's only $5 and you should all just, you know, buy it and play it. Uh, so that's, that's what I have to say about that. Again, <laughs> you'll hear more about it later. Uh, I did boot up, uh, dusted off that old theater rhythm final bar line this week. Nice. What came um, out? Well, so I hadn't touched it in a, in a couple weeks. And so I had a few things kind of like banked, like new songs have been coming out and stuff. But the reason yeah. I, I booted it up this week is because on June 7th, we had a drop of Chrono Trigger music, including my favorite song of all time, video game or otherwise, to Faraway Times from Chrono Trigger, was released for Theater Rhythm Final Bar Line, and it makes me very happy indeed. I was playing it uh, in front of my wife and, like, the crying <laughs> as I'm playing it because that song just makes me cry, and I was just telling her what that song means to me, and I... um. I, I, it's, it's like one of those weird things, man. Like I just, ever since I first heard that song, it's just, it's always been my favorite song. And so it's, it's so great to have it in this game now. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Theater rhythm final bar line is a good game. Um, it's a good game. It's a good game. According to good. you, I haven't been able to play it yet, but I, I trust your word. My friends. It's, it's very good. Uh, last thing I'll shout out though is a uh, killer frequency. Eric. Yeah, yeah, you put a video on the YouTubes 
channel for us, didn't you, buddy? I did. I did. So, uh, Killer Frequency, huge thanks to our friends at Team 17 who passed a code along. Uh, for that, we uh, they provided us a copy for review. There is a video on the YouTube channel. And it is a really, it's, it's honestly like to touch back on what you said earlier, we're so drowning in good games that like genuinely we have had the great fortune of being passed along, like a lot of like coverage opportunities and stuff and able to play and showcase so many of these awesome games to you guys there. We literally have more games than we're able to like to play and killer frequency. I'm like, dude, like at any other point, this game would be like right it is right up my alley i'm having a ton of fun with it and i would love to just sit there and just like do a full stream of it maybe i will at some point but um yeah. there's so much more going on what what the game is though it is a kind of like 80s slasher sort of thing like totally cheesy totally corny like scream kind of vibes um but the whole kind of setup of it is your radio dj that uh, is kind of made the de facto, for four reasons, 911 operator <laughs> of a small town that is being uh, plagued by a serial killer. And the person, the 911 operator, is out on the streets saving people, trying to help people. The sheriff of the town was murdered by the serial killer. And you're the only one who can who can man the phone lines. Uh, pass through your your radio station with your uh, assistant, and you guys are uh, are kind of holed up in the radio station for the night. And people will call, and you have to help them essentially survive encounters with the serial killer. So one of the first calls you'll get is from a woman who is, and again, it's very over the top, fully voice acted. Um, I don't know who voices the main character, Forrest Nash, but he sounds like I don't think it's Troy Baker. But he's doing a very good Troy Baker impression, if it's not Troy Baker. Like, it sounds like Troy Baker. Um, And he's just this kind of like, yeah, this kind of cocky, you know, too good for this small town life. I used to be in Chicago with the radio station that got, you know, 15 million listeners and blah, blah, blah. And now I'm here in this podunk town, 32 listeners a night, you know. And um, and this woman calls and she's like. Josh Cowdery. Okay. He's yeah, sounds like Troy Baker. So good on him. Um, and and this woman calls. She's like a jazzercise, you know, sort of woman. And again, it's very over the top. <laughs> a jazzercise you know. sort of. Yeah, just one of the, You can practically hear the <laughs> Richard Simmons in the background. You know what I mean? My um, mom used to jazzercise. <laughs> total, my, my mom, too. Totally. Um, and, and so she calls in, and she is in her car... She hears the serial killer outside because he's like the, the whistling killer is his thing. He whistles when he comes to kill you. And you have to walk her through the process of hot wiring her car. And the way you do this is you have to talk her through this magazine. It's like get her to read the serial number of the car. And if it's this number, have her cut this wire. It's almost like you're playing one of those like disarm the bomb games with NPCs. It's like okay. one of those things. It's it's interesting, man. It's really cool. I like the vibes of it. The 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 sort of like yeah, this like neon soaked, you know, eighties kind of retro vibe to the whole thing. The cheesy popcorn horror movie vibes. It, it'll be a good one for Spooky Month. And it's also you know I love a good name, Eric. A good video game title. I know Killer you Frequency. Do. Killer Frequency is <laughs> a good name. I like that quite a lot. 
So anyways, Killer Frequency, it's really cool. I think it's on a launch window discount as well uh, until I believe the 15th. I think you can take 20% off of it. And uh, it's, yeah, it's it's a neat game, man. And you get to actually kind of like man the DJ booth too. You, can, you have sliders in front of you. You have little cassette tapes for when you want to run ad spots. You, uh, you know, you put your, your records on the record player, you take calls on the call line and yeah, it's neat. I like it quite a Fair bit. Fair enough. Yeah. Cool little game. Check out the video on the YouTube channel. Oh, I should say, uh, for the YouTube channel, uh, if you watch me play about an hour or so of the game, cause I will say that the game's pacing is very like quick and like, it's hard to put it down because the game does a really good job of just like keeping you along. And next thing you know, an hour's gone by, um, so I do, I do like that about it. But my problem was, is I was getting so distracted. I was like horrifically incompetent and people would be like, I need your help. And I'm like overlooking at the poster on the wall because I want to know who was playing at Frequency Fest, man. I, I want to know, <laughs> I want to know what was going on at Frequency Fest and people are asking me to help them. So there was a, there, there was like a basketball hoop over a trash can. I'm throwing like paper trash into the hoop and people are begging for me to help them and I'm not doing it. And so that was a problem, but <laughs> I could just. You would be a, such a great actual like radio because you would be so, so loyal to the <laughs> airway. It's like, yeah. you've got to help me. I'm about to die. It's like, you think you're about to die. I'm about to have dead air. That's even worse. <laughs> yeah. Just, just sitting there like, and this one is, you know, low rider by, you know, just queuing up music and whatnot. It was, yeah, it's, it's fun, man. It's, it's, it's good. You, you guys should check it out. Check out the YouTube video. You'll get a really good feel for kind of the vibe of the game. But, uh, but yeah, Killer Frequency. Check it out. There's okay. also a video of you playing Anna Lynn on the YouTubes as well. That's right. That's right. There is a video of me playing Anna Lynn. Uh, it was actually like not long after. The only thing I did, cause we, we got the game like, maybe an hour before it shadow dropped. And I, I went in there and I unlocked Anton from Anton Blast. Yes. He's in the game. Um, Yes, he is. He's our friends at summit sphere are the ones publishing it. And so I wanted to make sure I could showcase Anton as well. But other than that, I had played very little of it. So I am, I was much worse at the game than I am now. (laughs) So it's a little embarrassing, uh, but it's okay. It's all right. You know what? It's all right. I wanted to showcase the game. So you guys can check that out too. But uh, yeah, that's about all that's been going on in my world today. Eric, we have a a very fun uh, show lined up this week and we wanted to do something kind of special because there are a few things percolating this past week. We had the, I believe it was the 30th anniversary of the Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah. The 30th anniversary of the original Japanese release of the Legend of Zelda came out in 1993. Yeah. I cannot believe it's already been 30 years now we don't have a retrospective for you guys because we've already done one it's from episode eight as a matter of fact i think it might actually be our first retrospective so go ahead and check out our retrospective on link's awakening from episode eight however that in conjunction with another story that came out this past week has brought up a very interesting point about a very interesting video game studio yeah man we were looking at this um a a video game studio called by the name of grezzo 
who you guys might know is pretty prolific Nintendo second party, has worked almost exclusively with Nintendo, uh, announced their new game, Jet Dragon, not for the Nintendo Switch, for mobile devices and Apple Arcade. Yeah, not and, even um, for a console. Right. So it's interesting looking at Grezzo and also considering that they were the ones that handled the Link's Awakening uh, remake. So it honestly, when we were thinking about like kind of something we wanted to spotlight this week on the show, we thought it'd be a great chance to just look back and do a developer spotlight on Grezzo. So Grezzo, founded December 2006, uh, CEO Koichi Ishii, which a lot of people may not know that name offhand. However, when it comes to this industry, you know, like there's not too many people more tenured than this guy. This is a guy who worked on the original Final Fantasy. He was with Square mm-hmm. for 20 years nearly worked on several final fantasy games worked on the mana games and then wound up leaving after nearly 20 years was square to form his own company again grezzo which has as seth said been working almost exclusively with nintendo for the past 16 17 years and ironically enough working on a lot of Legend of Zelda titles. This mm-hmm. is the company. This is why we wanted to spotlight Grezzo in this episode, because this is the studio behind the Ocarina of Time 3D remake, behind the Majora's Mask 3D remake, and several other Legend of Zelda games, including uh, the aforementioned Link's Awakening remake from 2019 on the Nintendo Switch. Yeah. A lot of people may not know Grezzo's name, but the people, the games that they have produced under this banner and the people behind it are low-key some of the biggest names in the industry. Yeah, I mean, Koichi Ishii uh, invented the Moogle. Yeah, <laughs> and, and the, 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 the Chocobo. Like, yep. <laughs> like, pretty iconic, you the know. The dude's tenured, that's what we're saying. Yeah, the, the, he's been around the block once or twice, all right? And uh, it's, it's yeah, it's cool that he, you know, he would go on to, to sort of found this, this studio that's been around for a long time. And it's one of those studios, like, we did, I don't remember how long ago it was, but we did, a, a I think, a top five at one point of the, de- the like the developers that Nintendo should acquire and Grezzo was yeah. one of them because they have more than proven themselves I feel like when you look at um when when you look at just like their legacy and yeah working with the Legend of Zelda I mean this is one of Nintendo's most iconic franchises that they have trusted this studio with. And I would argue that the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time 3D, which was the, you know, the 3DS sort of remake of Ocarina of Time or port upper res, whatever you want to call it, might have been the low-key, like one of the most important early 3DS games. Like you and I remember when the 3DS came out, that game, that system had like nothing on it, practically. Yep. And I remember very vividly, like the 3DS came out in March of, I think, 2011 and the, um, or 2011 or 2012. And I remember 
Yeah, I remember June is when Ocarina of Time 3D came out, and everybody was like, thank God. Like, thank God I don't have to play, like, Steel Diver anymore, Pilot Wings <laughs> Resort. Steel you know? Diver. So, like, they, they kind of, I, I felt like that was the first, like, breath of fresh air for uh, for the for the system. And, and they did, like, a phenomenal job with, with See, that. See, that's the thing. See, that's the thing. This is the company that made the definitive version of arguably the greatest game ever made. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this is, I mean, like, top of the list of companies, of development teams that it blows your mind that Nintendo never put a ring on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really why we wanted to talk about them today, because... Like in a in kind of a shock move after uh what is it, two thousand six, after like seventeen years yeah. of working almost exclusively with Nintendo on stuff like remakes. Yes, they've done, you know, a couple other things. They did a WiiWare game called Line Attack Heroes. This is actually the, yeah. the same company behind um that cult classic on the three DS called Ever Oasis. This is that team. Uh so, but now all of a sudden, almost two decades later, they are expanding their territory to to Apple Arcade of all things. And I mean, more power to them for for expanding their horizons. But you just got to look at this this decision by Nintendo to not properly acquire this team as a huge missed opportunity because this. This development team, this company, I mean, sure, they've been doing a lot of remakes, which is taking established games and just kind of building on top of them. Their original projects may not have garnered quite as much hype and fanfare. Mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of people have never heard of Line Attack Heroes. And unfortunately, I'm sure a lot of you out there have never heard of Ever Oasis. So yeah, a lot of their original projects may not have generated too much hype and too much fanfare, but even if Nintendo only kept them on to do these type of remake projects, they've knocked it out of the park every time. And to think about the other projects they could potentially work on, especially in this year where remakes have, you know, in, in a year that's been undeniably amazing for this industry remakes have been front and center to that obviously metroid prime re4 uh kirby's return to dreamland deluxe there's been some astoundingly good remakes and if nintendo had played their cards right grezzo could be churning out a lot more quality remakes for them yeah and i mean i look at you know when you look at their sort of trajectory like line attack heroes is sort of like it's almost like a like proto wonderful 101 almost yeah like kind of you're you're lining up you know these characters you're moving them around with the Wii remote and nunchuck and you know and it's it's like a little like skirmish you know battle we wear thing it's a simplistic thing but it's funny because it almost looks like the kind of thing you would see like a street pass game. Like it sort of looks like a street pass game, but on WiiWare. And it's interesting because they would go on to be a pretty prolific street pass developer. They would do flower town. They would assist on other street pass games. I love flower town. So much. Flower town's (laughs) great. 
Um, and then, yeah, they were a prolific support studio uh, on games. And then they would, you know, they would helm remakes, Ocarina of Time 3D, Majora's Mask 3D, both of them fantastic. They ported Four Swords to DSiWare, uh, which was good. They were the co-developers of Triforce Heroes. Um, yeah. And they, they actually kind of led that project, Nintendo EPD. Um, was almost like they, like it was primarily a Grezzo project. Um, and they did other stuff as well, but like Ever Oasis was sort of their, uh, their big shot. Like, all right, like, let's see what an original, you know, Nintendo published Grezzo developed, you know, 3DS game is. And it was received well, like, you know, like it totally fine, totally well received. The problem was, is it launched after the Switch, after the Nintendo Switch. Nintendo, by the time the Switch had come out, Nintendo was officially still a two-console company, but they had long stopped developing strongly for the 3DS. They had long stopped pushing the 3DS. Uh, So, yeah. Whenever Oasis came out, uh, I get it it was very well received critically, but that was the whole thing is it released on a console that was already on life support. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grezzo would go on to produce another remake for Nintendo for the 3DS specifically. They were the ones behind the Luigi's Mansion 3DS remake as well. Yep. Uh, but that also released that that released a year later on the the 3DS when. <laughs> The console was even thick layer of dust at that point. Exactly. Yes. Right. Yeah. And and I I look at this too, and it's a it's a shame, man, because like Ever Oasis, like to me, that's the real crime is Ever Oasis. Because I look at it and it's exactly what like when you have a studio by the the mana guy, basically. Yeah. And that's what you want his studio to make. You want his studio to make this kind of thing that is very clearly supposed to be a spiritual successor uh, to that series. So like, this is the kind of thing that you, that you want to see out of them. And they just released it at maybe it it actually might've been better if they released it like further away. This is literally, this came out three months after the Nintendo switch. So not only was it kind of on life support, but in those early, like the switch just came out, people didn't want to look at anything else. You know, so it's, it's one of those things, man, like it it couldn't, it didn't even have the distinction of like being a very late 3DS where people were kind of like, all right, maybe the magic of the switch is worn off a little bit in my eyes. Maybe I can kind of think about playing some of these late 3DS games. No, this, this came out at probably the most inopportune time possible. And, uh, and it's a shame. And, uh, and that was kind of their, their big shot to make something of their own and it popped and fizzled. And then you get to the switch era and what they've done is they have done an excellent remake of Link's Awakening, which sold Mm -hmm. really well. Um, and they created like this beautiful, you know, kind of like toy diorama art style that is still like striking and well done. They handled a Nintendo switch port of Miitopia and we haven't seen really anything of them until this past week when they announced Jet Dragon for mobile. So I look at this and I'm like, man, like in a perfect world. And what I, what I sort of hope is I sort of hope that Grezzo is working on multiple things at once and Jet Dragon is just one of them. Because I was honestly hoping that if not 
a remake of the Oracle games next, which would be the next logical conclusion uh, with that same engine. Like you can't throw that engine away. It can't be for nothing. Um, And like either that, or like I would love to see Grezzo just make new Zelda games with that art style, like a whole new 2d Zelda series utilizing the Link's Awakening art style would be awesome. Well, I don't know what's going on with the Oracle games specifically. I don't know what's going on with the licensing because Capcom actually did uh, the Oracle games. They did those and the Minish Cap. Yeah, so Nintendo I don't still know. owns them though, because because they're yeah because Nintendo just re-released Minish Cap and they're re-releasing Oracle yep. uh, as well on NSO on the NSO. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of like like releasing old version versus uh, like the the license to remake or redo assets or something i know those can differ a lot of times so i don't know if that's the case here but yeah i would absolutely love for grezzo to to do that i it, it does make me wonder if honestly for their sake i would like to see them do a remake or maybe just kind of a retooling like Give Ever Oasis a second chance on the Nintendo Switch. Yeah. You had them remake Metopia for heaven's sakes. Mm-hmm. Let them l- let their game actually have a chance on a console that you are properly supporting. And I've got to wonder if that might at the end of the day be a big reason for them starting to branch out beyond Nintendo is because it's clear they want to be able to do their own projects. Like this is a a very good indicator of that. They want to do their own projects. They did line attack heroes. They did ever Oasis. They're doing this new IP game away from Nintendo. It's very clear. They want to be able to work on their own new IP. I wonder if that's, if that was the big thing It's just Nintendo saying, we only care about you for your ability to remake our old games. And we don't care about any new ideas that you have to bring to the table. I wonder if behind the scenes, that was the breaking point or I, I, I don't know if breaking points, the right word, because you could be absolutely right in terms of maybe they're working on multiple things. And this new project for Apple arcade is just one of them. So I don't want to say that they are, that they have closed the door on Nintendo, but just the fact that they are looking elsewhere and they are working elsewhere when they have consistently proven to be an incredibly consistently talented studio. It just, it really blows my mind that Nintendo wouldn't just 1000% lock them down and just give them basically whatever they want. It, you know, it reminds me of, um, of good feel the, the studio good feel, who mm-hmm. is another similar situation where they have been an excellent, excellent second party developer for Nintendo. They make these awesome, like some of the best Yoshi games they make, you know, Wario land, shake it, blah, blah, blah. And Nintendo, because of the way they operate has refused to put a ring on it. And they made this game monkey barrels on the switch, which was like fine. And they're working on this other interesting looking game, but like Nintendo is sort of, been totally non-committal the way they they've always been and it is interesting to see them kind of branch out and and this is the sort of thing where like if I were Nintendo you you know the strengths of the studio 
And like, yeah, they, they've proven that they can do a really good job of remaking things. But like, as far as the public knows anyway, they're not even doing that. And like, again, like I would, I would love to see them take another, another crack at it. Like, I think they've earned another crack at some sort of original IP. If it's, if it's like, yeah, a switch port of ever Oasis, I would love to see that. I would love to see them make a sequel even on switch. Like, let them have a chance. Like it, it feels like they've never had a real chance. So I don't know that that's upsetting to me because I think they're talented and they've, they've been around for long enough and they've done enough good with Nintendo. They've made the definitive ports and or remakes or remasters of many of their games. And I think they've earned a little bit of that cachet, man. So yeah, but it is, it is a very, especially an ever increasingly important aspect of this industry is, you know, to be able to bring these older games to a new generation. I can absolutely understand, you know, creators, developers, coders, uh, you know, wanting to create new IPs, wanting to put their own stamp on an industry. Uh, like a scientist, as a scientist, you don't want to be the one that just like does uh, replication studies. Sure. You want to be the one that discovers things. You don't want to be the one in charge of verifying other people's findings. You want to put your own stamp on an industry, right? Mm-hmm. But they're especially in today's day and age, remakes, re- uh, remakes, remasters, re-releases are so incredibly important to this industry because it's not just like bringing a laser disc to a streaming service. So much of the past software of this industry is in formats that are literally unplayable as they are. They have to be completely retooled uh, to fit current platforms just to be able to be experienced by modern audiences. Even if that's literally all you do, even if you don't upscale the graphics, even if you don't augment the gameplay whatsoever, it's still a ton of work just to make things accessible to modern audiences but that preservation is so incredibly important and then you just take into account the insane amount of work that goes into truly great remakes which is what grezzo has proven they do in in a world where capcom is putting out insanely well-regarded remakes for the resident evil franchise in a world where we can get something like metroid prime remastered and in a world where we can get you know kirby's return to dreamland deluxe and all of these incredibly cool remakes here in 2023 grezzo has been consistently putting out amazing remakes of amazing games for a long long time and even though they're not the original studios behind those games just the consistent quality of them being able to bring these titles to new audiences to new generations mace I could understand if some of the people working there would find that unfulfilling, but man, is that still incredibly important work and that I'm incredibly grateful that they've done. Yeah, no, same here. And and we should say too, that we are completely speculative here. We don't know what the situation is at Grezzo or with Nintendo. It could be that Nintendo has tried to purchase them and you know, it could, it could be a situation like that where like Grezzo is, is not for sale. It could be a situation where maybe Grezzo. That's true. I mean, Sakurai and Sora limited. I mean, yeah, it's that, possible. That, that right? is a similar situation. Um, um, it, it could be that, that Grezzo pitched 
uh, Jet Dragon to to Nintendo, and Nintendo just turned it down. So they said, "Well, we'll go to Apple Arcade." I mean, it could be a myriad, you know, myriad situations here. Um, it could be, and, and I'm in fact, I'm sure Grezzo is probably pitching stuff to publishers, Nintendo and otherwise all the time and it could be that Grezzo has some sort of deal with Nintendo where Nintendo gets like first bite at the Apple because they work with them so much it could be that Nintendo just works with them on a contract basis where they're like hey we have work for you we want you to do this um but you know at the end of the day like I I really if if I were Nintendo if I ran Nintendo um, they are for sure one of the studios that I would want to have in the back pocket. And yeah. the the first thing I would do is I would say, you get on a Link's Awakening style 2D Zelda game because I think there's a real opportunity there. There are people like we we just got done talking about Tears of the Kingdom. We love Tears of the Kingdom. Right. And we love this new style of Zelda game. There is a not insignificant amount of people who yearn for the Link's Awakening style, those like kind of top-down, cozy, you know, sort of Zelda games. I think the there's a market. Aesthetic, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a market for that. I really do. Like if they just had one of those come out every two or three years between the big, you know, 3D Zelda games, I think that would be a successful little series. We haven't had a new, like proper new top-down 2D Zelda since A Link Between Worlds. Like these things used to exist in tandem and they don't anymore. Same with Mario, you know? So like they, Grezzo is the number one studio I would like to see take on that task. And I may, yeah, I'm, you know, I, I see something like this and it, <laughs> I may be a little sensationalist in my reaction. That's fair. But after a more than a decade and a half of, a studio working almost exclusively with Nintendo to produce quality content. And mm. all of a sudden I see that their assets are being, their considerably talented assets are being used elsewhere. Uh, I just, it, it just screams to me of at least a small rift forming. And I don't know if that's due to lack of opportunity or just to Grezzo uh, deciding that, you know, just like, Mr. Ichii discovered that after 20 years at Square, he decided he would expand his horizons and create his own video game company. It could very well be a situation to where he said, okay, well, I've worked with Nintendo for almost 20 years. Maybe time to see where else this industry can take me. Yeah. Uh, but uh, again, I see that that divide starting to be created between low-key one of the most prolific studios to work for Nintendo, maybe ever, and the potential for that divide to get even bigger and to think that we may not be able to get any future Zelda games like Link's Awakening to think that... Because this was the team behind the Four Swords Adventure and Triforce mm -hmm. Heroes. Yep to think that we may not be able to get any more experimental Zelda games like that. Uh, Seth, you and I did an in defense of Zelda Triforce heroes. What? Like recently. three weeks ago. Yeah, it was recently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is a studio that while we don't necessarily sing their praises each and every week is a studio that absolutely deserves its praises being sung. And 
it just it scares me the thought of of them leaving Nintendo, especially if other companies see that as you know other companies are maybe looking to them to see if and how they are able to succeed away from the big end. Because I know that Nintendo offers a lot of very good work. They work with a lot of studios that they haven't put a ring on yet. And especially in this year, this day and age of major studio acquisitions, that's ultimately the big thing that I'm most concerned about is because we are still in the midst of this the this the world of the acquisition essentially there hasn't been any super high profile like ridiculously high profile uh company uh signings or or mm. company uh yeah, acquisitions uh, acquisitions yeah. uh in a little while but those companies are <laughs> I'm sure if Microsoft was able to just get this thing done with when it comes to Blizzard and Activision, I'm sure they would be much, much more aggressive with other companies. And I'm sure Sony is, is still, you know, I'm still, they've, I'm sure they've still got a ton of sharks out of the water looking to gobble up as many incredibly talented studios as they possibly can too. So I guess, at the end of the day, that's just my biggest concern is these studios that orbit around Nintendo that they haven't put a ring on yet. And all of a sudden we see even just the early, the early stages of, of maybe a company starting to move ever so slightly away from them mm-hmm. and what that could potentially mean for the future of Nintendo. Yeah. But I look, I I hope I hope this ages horribly. I hope that everything we've just said ages horribly. I hope that we get some sort of Nintendo direct where the next, you know, big Grezzo thing is is a part Grezzo of Grezzo acquires Nintendo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but I you know, I do. I I hope that I hope that this ages terribly. I hope that this is just but in any case Regardless, like it, it was just a really good excuse to to do a spotlight on Grezzo because they deserve it. They deserve a little segment to sit and talk about their history, talk about their potential future, and just appreciate the good work that they've done. Um, Absolutely, you know, low key. Like you, if you don't, if you didn't know their name before today, you do now. <laughs> and again, just a, another shout out to Koichi Ishii, uh, a true OG, a true OG in the industry uh like he'll be once once they start adding like developer profiles to the world video game hall of fame he will absolutely be enshrined yeah yep absolutely well we will whatever the case may be we will keep an eye on grezzo uh you know and and keep up with everything that they're doing but we wanted to make sure we spotlight them let us know what you would like to uh, CSU developer spotlights on in the future. It's super fun. Uh, we, we always like to, to highlight deserving, you know, studios here, here on the show. And we would, we would love a chance to do it again in the future. Uh, let us know what your favorite Grezzo game is. We'd love to chat yeah. some Grezzo. <laughs> 
or if you think I'm just whining and blowing things completely out of proportion, let me know that too. You're probably, you're probably not wrong about that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, maybe I just need to go into the corner and just play with my yo-yo for a second and cool down. Sure. Sure. We'll, we'll, we'll walk the dog Segway. over to that Segway. How about that? Segway. <laughs> That's the smoothest Segway I've ever done. Yes. Uh, <laughs> no, Grez was amazing. Uh, but yeah, this past week was National Yo-Yo Day, and Seth and I agree on the fact that yo-yos, especially their implementation in video games, have been incredibly underrated throughout history, and we have made it our personal mission, our personal mission to 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 fix that this week. We have. We have. We have made our personal mission to celebrate the most amazing Nintendo yo-yos throughout the course of Nintendo history. The yo-yo to never stop yoing this week in the top five. All right, Eric, the top five yo-yos in Nintendo history. What are the rules, my friend? Well, I mean, everybody knows what a yo-yo is. However, not every yo-yo in Nintendo history has been called a yo-yo. So for this list, we're really talking about any uh, circular implement that is tethered to a character that is a significant portion of the game's mechanics or the character's move set. So it may not be specifically called a yo-yo in its game of origin, but I mean, it's a yo-yo. Again, we all know what yo-yos are, Seth. You may not be able to walk all these dogs, but (laughs) these are all very good dogs. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I like that. It's, I mean, yo-yos are just fun. They're 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 just fun and underutilized, I think, in uh in Nintendo and video games really in general. Just a fun implement, whether it be a weapon, whether it be something that is just attached to a character. Um, and I think to to kick things off with our list, Eric, uh, one that I think everybody is sort of expecting to be on our list, we of course had to include, and that is Ness from Earthbound. Yes. Ness from Earthbound. I think a lot of people were frankly uh, expecting us to say Ness from Super Smash Brothers because yeah. when it comes to Ness's implementation of the iconic uh, toy, uh, I mean, honestly, his use of it in the Super Smash Brothers franchise is far and away his most recognizable. The fact that he's able to, he doesn't use it for a wide variety of his moveset, but a couple of his smash attacks, specifically his down smash. Uh, is is very yo-yo centric, and he does have a couple moves that use it as well. But but yes, Earthbound. It didn't originate in Smash Brothers. It is of course part of Ness's overall potential power set, overall potential move set from his game of origin, Mother Two. Yeah, yeah, and in fact, um, you know, it does return in Mother Three, although it's mo- it's much more associated with with Mother Two. It appears pretty late, you know, in in Mother Three. Um, so in in Mother Two, it's definitely more iconic and more associated with with Ness in general. Get him from a drugstore, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, has several different you know combat implements and stuff. So it 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 definitely is. It's one of those things where it's just so tied to that franchise like when you think of Ness you you kind of think of him using his yo-yo um it's it's that and like his baseball bat yep. those are like the two things right 
Yeah, whenever so. you see, like I'm actually looking at him right now, whenever you see images of Ness, you very frequently see him with his baseball bat and yo-yo in tow. They've just become so ingrained as part of the character's iconography. Uh, and of course, with him appearing in every Super Smash, I'm fairly certain he's been in every Smash Brothers game. Uh, yeah, uh, I think that's right. Yeah, and with him being in the entirety of Nintendo's arguably hypest franchise, the Yo-Yo has certainly had plenty of time to shine, thanks to our little black-eyed boy. That was always the one thing about those characters in Smash that kind those of dead eyes, those dead black <laughs> eyes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, but a good Yo-Yo. I mean, when when that Yo-Yo can do damage like that in Smash. And you you actually use it in combat and smash. I mean, it did it did sort of have to be on the list somewhere. Yeah, and you know you may not think about it too much, but yeah, there's been a couple really interesting characters throughout the history of fighting games, not just Smash Brothers, who have used some form of yo-yo as their primary method of murder, essentially. And for our number four, I'm going with a personal favorite of mine, especially since we're here in Pride Month. Our number four is Bridget from the Guilty Gear franchise. Yes. Bridget, the, you know, famously uh, was recently confirmed to be a trans character. Yes. So very cool. Yes. With her inclusion in the new Guilty Gear Strive uh, as a DLC character, uh, they, they did canonically make Bridget trans uh, but Bridget originally showed up in Guilty Gear XX, which came to the Nintendo Wii uh, in its final form, in its Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo form, which was Guilty Gear XX Accent Core Plus R, uh, which, you know, when it comes to naming conventions is very, very Capcom-esque. But Bridget presents essentially as this little, you know, 13-year-old nun essentially just walking around like literally Bridget's walking animation in that game is her walking the dog with her little yo-yo, but you really <laughs> don't want to get Bridget angry because Bridget's actually a bounty hunter. No joke. That's how crazy this game gets. Um, but yeah, her, her primary tool is of course, uh, several, you know, very, very dangerous yo-yos. And she has a really interesting move set. Uh, she can, you know, not just, just like she uses the, the yo-yo attacks for most of her normals, but of course, a lot of her special moves revolve specifically around it. Uh, it's a four button fighter. You've got uh, your punch, your kick, and then a slash and heavy slash in that game. And for most characters, it's treated, you know, like a typical kind of four button layout. But for Bridget, in her case, her heavy slash attack isn't really a direct attack. It's uh, the ability to set your yo-yo out somewhere on the playing field. It still remains tethered, so it still absolutely counts as a yo-yo in every form that it takes. But she, her heavy slash attack is just to set out her yo-yo as a trap somewhere on the field. You can set it behind the opponent. You can set it up in the air. You can jump and set it on the ground. And from there, she has several different things that she can do with it. She can uh, zip to it. She has like four or five separate attacks that she can do with it. Uh, in addition to that, she's got a bunch of uh, different special moves that involve transforming the yo-yo into a murderous teddy bear, which is just adorably awesome and terrifying. 
but yeah, that's Guilty Gear for you, folks. Bridget's an amazing character. Guilty Gear, uh, Guilty Gear XX, Axon Core Plus R, and the original Guilty Gear, which Bridget isn't in, uh, are both available on the Nintendo Switch. I highly recommend it. Guilty Gear XX, Axon Core Plus R is a genuinely great fighting game. And Bridget is an incredibly unique and interesting character in that franchise, even showing up in the the hands up who remembers Guilty Gear Dust Strikers on the Nintendo DS. Hands up? Nobody? Uh, my Nobody hands remembers? down. I have no yeah. idea that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, the Nintendo DS got some really weird spin-off fighting games, and there was actually a Guilty Gear game on the Nintendo DS, which was really bizarre. It was called Dust Strikers, but Bridget also shows up in that one too. But again, continues to be like a super interesting character, uh, even in her new Strive days, which unfortunately Strive isn't on a Nintendo platform, but we can still appreciate Bridget in all of her uh, in all of her glory from her previous games in the franchise on the Nintendo Switch. Nice. I love it. I love it. Well, I guess we're, we're actually kind of sticking a little bit into the, the fighting game uh, adjacent genre anyway uh, for now, because our number three, and, and again, this is another one where it's like, it kind of has to be here. Our number three is Kirby. Yo-yo copyability from the Kirby series. Well, not just because it's yo-yo, and not just because it's a copyability for one of Nintendo's most iconic and recognizable mascots, but also the fact that it showed up in... I mean, up until the past couple of years, a game that you could really argue is the most beloved game in Kirby's franchise, and that is, of course, Kirby Superstar mm-hmm. from the Super Nintendo, a game that really set Kirby on kind of a meteoric rise. Obviously, Kirby's Dreamland and even Kirby's Adventure on the NES set Kirby uh, up for what was always potentially probably going to be a long-running franchise. But for all of us who remember when Kirby Superstar came out back on the Super Nintendo, that was, for many people, the Pink Puffball's true, like, breakout performance. And uh, one of the biggest reasons I think Kirby has endured to this day. And Yo-Yo premiered in that game. A pretty good statement to make for a power like that. Yeah, and the the enemy character that can grant you the uh, the, the ability Gim or whatever in, in that game. Uh, in Kirby Superstar Ultra, when you can do the helper to hero mode, you can play as that character too. So, pretty cool. And it's, it's also just like, when you look at the moveset even for it in Kirby Fighter 2, like, it is... It's a neat, you know, it's it's really just kind of shows the versatility of using the yo-yo as a weapon. And I know that Kirby has had other abilities that are similar, like the whip or whatever, but yo-yos are just cool, man. I just, And I like the design, the bandage on the face and the backwards cap. See that? Yeah, that's, that's the thing. Like the backwards baseball cap and the bandage on the face that look like Kirby's already hit himself in the face yep. with the yo-yo <laughs> before he even gets the power. Uh, yeah, I love that so much. And of course, like you said, it does show up in Kirby Fighter 2. It's weird. Yo-Yo hasn't been this omnipresent ability throughout all of Kirby's history. It's only appeared in a couple games mm-hmm. outside of Kirby Superstar. It appeared, of course, in the remake, Kirby Superstar Ultra, again on the DS. Uh, but outside of that, I believe its only other full-on appearance was in Kirby Star Allies mm-hmm. uh, back on the Nintendo Switch. So not too many appearances, but it is still like kind of a subtly low-key OP type of power. Because Kirby can, like one of its main attacks is just to walk the dog where you have this 
in basically infinitely existing hitbox in front of Kirby at all times. Something to note about the yo-yo power is it can actually go through walls and floors so you can hit switches or collect items and do stuff like that. Uh, but it does have some really interesting abilities. And of course, it did get fleshed out for Kirby Fighter 2 with some interesting specials. But yeah, Kirby Yo-Yo, yeah. adorable and functional. Yeah, and, and can I be honest too? Like, it feels iconic. Like, I, I actually was surprised to learn that it has been in so few games. Like, it feels like an ability that's just kind of always been there. Like it just, I don't know for like, it, it has that kind of place. That's in my the mind. Kirby superstar effect, man. I guess that's, so. That's the thing. I guess so. For gamers of a certain age, like we just, we just remember that stuff, you know, obviously, you know, fire, ice and beam. And those have been in functionally every Kirby game, but just because Kirby superstar sticks out so strongly for so many people, yo-yo being a big part of that, uh, you know, you just you just kind of always think about it having always been there. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's just it just has that place in my head. I got a yo-yo uh, Kirby plushie also, which is very. Do good. you really? Do. That's yeah. awesome. That is so <laughs> great. Oh my god, I love that so much. You know, of course, Kirby's had so many powers throughout. It. We actually did a a top five Kirby uh powers go ahead and check that i can't remember what episode it was but go ahead and check that out but yeah yo-yo is yeah yeah and i love kirby fighters too so i see yo-yo a lot all the time uh but yes great power let us know what your favorite kirby copy ability is but going into our number two this is where it is i'm sure a lot of you out there especially cult classic fans uh, from Nintendo history, you're probably wondering when a certain NES game was going to appear on this list, hoping it was fairly high up. And indeed it is our number two, Mike Jones from Star Tropics. Yeah, not not Mike Jones, who who every kid growing up in the uh, 90s and 2000s know the phone number, 281-330-8004. Um, not that Mike Jones. Mike Jones from Star Tropics. Uh, this is a series that is really special to me. Played this one growing up with with my uncle. I love Star Tropics, and like it's not great by today's standards. If you go back to it and play it now, it doesn't hold up super well. But I've always not really. But I, lo- I love that. I love like the the fact that this weird little you know kind of Zelda like thing where you have a yo yo as your main weapon. <laughs> yeah, in both that and Star Tropics Two Zelda's Revenge. Yeah, of course it's. You know, Star Tropics always gets compared to Zelda. And of course, it's always going to because it was a top-down adventure game very similar to Link's very first adventure. Of course, we just finished talking about uh, Link, uh, you know, and we're still kind of thinking about The Legend of Zelda following Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, But I mean, Star Tropics has just always been a game, especially in recent years, I think, with this idea that Nintendo could potentially maybe possibly in some timeline bring back the franchise with a surprise appearance. I feel like I've seen Star Tropics appear more and more lately. And still, you know, even though it doesn't hold up to modern scrutiny, it's not necessarily as good as a lot of the top-down adventure games you could play in 2023. It's still got a ton of charm. And I still think that 
you know, if you look at it based on NES standards, I still think you'd be surprised at what the quality of experience oh, yeah. that you'd get. Especially like, but yeah, the, uh, I mean, those character portraits, like when you're talking to the actual Islanders, like that's yeah. still really impressive. Like the actual sprite work and stuff is, is really impressive. I love the music. I love like, it's, it's just weird, man. Like you're, you're like, there's, you're exploring these islands that have like giant alien pianos underneath them. And like, you're on a, on like pirate ships and spaceships with your little, your little robot computer on it. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, the, the yo-yo in the game is like this thing that the people have passed down from generation to generation. And it's like this legendary weapon even though it's actually like not one of the best weapons in the game i think um <laughs> i think it is the it's kind of the default th it's like the only one that has like no yeah. ammo basically so yeah 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 man but i mean in the comparison to the legend of zelda and this is something that many people already know but star tropics was very much looked at as kind of the western legend of zelda and mike jones was supposed to be kind of this vision of the American kid in the late eighties and just the vision of the quote unquote American kid in the late eighties was this young kid running around slinging a yo-yo around. That was just part of the iconography, part of the, I guess, American stereotype from that time. And that was like, that's the reason that it wound up in the game that and baseball and uh, I guess freckles, yeah. but uh <laughs> Yeah, man. But yeah, I mean, my, it's 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 famous. Star Tropics is is just one of those games from the NES era that people just will not let be forgotten, and I'm perfectly okay with that. But when it comes to practitioners of the yo-yo, we absolutely could not leave Mike Jones off this list. He's the yo-yo king that that never stops yoing. Um, absolutely. I mean, really kind of the, the Nintendo originator, really. So yeah. for that alone, for that alone, we had to give him his props, even though his implementation of the yo-yo may not be as expansive as some of the other characters for sure. on this list. For sure. And we have, we have gone through so many iconic characters. I'm sure everybody's wondering who our number one is. Well, we're going to, we're going to let you know who could possibly top Mike Jones. But before we do, Eric, do we have some honorable mentions? We do, and I'm going to go ahead and shout out another game from the NES real quick. This one, not a top-down adventure mode. This one being a 2D action platformer. I'm talking about a game that's actually on both Star Tropics and this game are both on the NES NSO, and you should definitely check them out. Check out Rygar. Yeah, on Star the Tropics 2 is on there too, isn't it? Uh, I don't there. remember. I don't remember. I know it, at the very least, Star Tropics mm -hmm. 1 is, mm -hmm. uh, and the original Rygar is. If Rygar the Legendary Adventure, the, the PS2 era remake, if that had appeared on the GameCube, Rygar probably would have made the list proper. But because... Uh, from a Nintendo standpoint, our only experience with the discarmer wielding <laughs> hero of ancient Rome slash Greece question mark. Our only experience with him is, of course, with the NES classic. But if you have the ability, that PS2 era remake of Rygar is a really solid God of War clone. Uh, it's it, it's got a really 
generic name. And of course, it is very much like God of War Light. But if you have the ability to play it, like I said, it's a really solid God of War clone. I really wish we had gotten it on the GameCube around that time. But I still wanted to shout out my boy Rygar. Nice. Well, one of my gaming gaps, I would say, I've played a lot of video games in my time on this planet, but I... uh I, I have never gotten into the Ganbare Goemon series, so I know that Legend of the Mystical Ninja is a classic implementation of a yo-yo. Yep. I just haven't played it. Goemon, uh, also my very favorite Bomberman in Super Bomberman R. Nice. Fun fact. But uh, yeah, Legend of the Mystical Ninja, Goemon, that whole franchise. Much more famous in Japan than mm-hmm. in the West, of course. But a lot of people may not know you can get a yo-yo in that game as well. Of course, Goemon's pipe, uh, much more famous as his fighting implement, but you can indeed get a yo-yo to beat up, uh, you know, feudal uh, anime ninjas with. Always a good time. Always a good time. And actually, speaking of Japan, uh, and another game that I wish, you know, we had gotten over here, not necessarily on the GameCube, but at least in the States, is Captain Rainbow. Yeah, Captain Rainbow for the Nintendo Wii Japan and Europe only uh, Captain Rainbow. And it's it's a weird little game that's probably never going to be localized. There's some pretty dicey never. stuff in that game. Yeah, um, yeah, there really is. <laughs> however, yeah, Captain Rainbow, shout out to Captain Rainbow, dude. His, his primary weapons are, are yo-yos, so... Yeah, for sure. And, uh, I mean, we've shouted out a couple fighting games already. I'm just going to throw out another. Uh, I'm just going to sh- throw this one out just because this one is so bizarre. For those who don't remember, speaking of the Nintendo Wii, the Wii actually got an exclusive game in the Versus franchise. I think it's the only Versus game that Nintendo systems have ever gotten, but it was a Wii exclusive, Tatsunoko versus Capcom. And from Battle of the Planets, June the Swan was actually a yo-yo practitioner in that game too. So shout out to Tatsunoko and June the Swan for representing the yo-yo. I love that game. That's a great game. It's so good. Oh my God, that game is so good. Yeah. I'm astounded. Like that, uh, we've got to do a retrospective on that game at some point. The fact that it A, exists and B, got localized both independently blow my mind. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Tatsunoko versus Capcom is awesome. Yeah, yeah we, we really we do. Gotta, we got to figure out how to work that in at some point. Also, uh, quick, quick shout outs to the Yobro enemy. From uh, from Mario and Luigi, I wanted to shout that out. Yo, bro, from Mario oh and Luigi. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah quick shout outs to it's that. It's not always heroes. It's not always heroes. Bad guys can use yo-yos too. Equal opportunity fighting implements, I guess. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, shout outs to that. But of course, we get we do need. There's one final honorable do mention. Do we? Do we? <laughs> I mean, you know, you gotta shout out the Yonoid. You gotta shout uh, out the Yonoid. Do we though? <laughs> yes, of course, the Domino's Pizza mascot himself uh, got, you know, we've talked about a couple NES games already. We've talked about Star Tropics. We've talked about Rygar. But yes, in the late 80s and early 90s, even fast food chain mascots and junk food mascots were able to get their own video games. And the incredibly bizarre Domino's Pizza Yo Noid was one of them. And he used a, a a yo-yo in his incredibly bizarre game. Yeah, yeah. But that's the end of our honorable mentions. We need to get into our number one. And 
it was funny because Eric and I were, you know, we're putting this list together and we're thinking about all these, you know, iconic characters that we've already mentioned, like Kirby and Ness and Mike Jones and these kind of like, you know, these iconic Nintendo centric characters. And then like a fun, you know, kind of cool and, and like even like an inclusive pick in, in Bridget, which was which was great and like an interesting fighting game character, kind of more in the modern flavor. Um, and we're actually picking something pretty modern for our number one. Because we had to shout out the murder yo-yos from Bayonetta 3 as our number one. I mean, you can call it recency bias, and that may be fair, but honestly, it is, in in both Seth and I's individual opinions, the best part of what is arguably one of the best pure action games ever on a Nintendo console. In Bayonetta 3, just like in all the other Bayonetta games, you wind up getting access to a fairly diverse set of uh, implements that allow you to murder angels and demons and uh, homoculi in various interesting, grotesque, and entertaining ways. But honestly, when you get, and you get these fairly early on in Mm -hmm. the game, when you get the, what do they call it, the Ignis area uh, RNA? A Ryan or something like that. Right? I, I yeah. have no clue. Yeah. They're murder yo-yos. When they're you get the yo-yos. murder yo-yos uh, early on in the game, they're just so, so much fun. Everybody's, of course, aware that Bayonetta has pistols. She carries one in each hand and has one attached to each of her boots. She's got, she's rocking four. And these murder yo-yos basically replace her pistols when you equip them. And they are just these massive demonic flaming. She's got four of them. And it's like, she can use them for these insane Bayonetta combos. You've all seen footage from the game. So you know how her combat works, you know how her combos work, but just imagine her using like just again, four flaming demonic yo-yos in the implement at that time and rolling around like she's some kind of transformer rolling around on massive yo-yo wheels, right? It's just, it's amazing. They were honestly, I used the murder yo-yos probably for 70% of that game. They were just so ridiculous ridiculously fun so ridiculously satisfying there are some nuts weapons in that game you you actually literally get to fight with a train on a stick (laughs) in that game yeah you do and and the murder yo-yos were just so much fun constantly all the different combo chains and combo paths you can take with them they're just great you i got them early and i never went back i used the other ones just for the sake of having some variety but if i actually needed something if i knew i was going into a fight where i needed to actually try the murder yo-yos were coming out yeah i i didn't i used them for the majority of my playthrough and I didn't take like it was, it wasn't until much later until I'd already finished the game. I was going back to like test yeah. some other things out. Um, I, I just loved these. And, and like, I was telling you this, like, and, and again, we both feel, felt this way individually before even putting this list together. It's not just the best weapon in Bayonetta three, which again is one of the great action games ever made. It's one of the most fun and satisfying video game weapons of all time. Like, it's that fun. To say nothing, we haven't even mentioned the fact that, like all of these other weapons in that game, it's got its own infernal demon to do a demon masquerade uh, in tandem with, which is just a giant flame spider. Yeah. (laughs) 
So if you're if you're thinking about it, it's like, oh, this sounds like a really fun yo-yo to try. If you have arachnophobia, maybe don't use the murder yo-yos too much. But you do get access to both a giant kaiju-sized demon spider, thanks to the murder yo-yos, and Bale herself actually becomes a fairly large demon mm-hmm. spider herself. And he gets that's just it's just fun for the whole family. That's what it is. It's murderous, demonic yo-yo fun for the whole family uh as long as everybody in your family is 18 or above it's yeah it's it's very very good but let's run down our list of the best yo-yos in nintendo history one last time our number five was ness from earthbound our number four the trans icon from guilty gear bridget our number three was kirby with his yo-yo kirby copy ability our number two, the most American name ever put to video game, <laughs> Mike Jones from Star Tropics. Yes, and our number one, the Ignis Aranea Yo-Yo, aka Murder Yo-Yos from Bayonetta Three. <laughs> yes, that like just genuinely talking about it makes me want to go back and replay through the game with those Yo-Yos. Just so much fun. You and I had a couple issues with the game's narrative, but when it came to the pure action, it was just nothing but fun. As long as you were controlling Bayonetta. Yeah, it was just so, so much fun. Pretty peerless. So, yeah, let us know for sure what you guys think. If there are any yo-yos that we somehow did not cover and you think we should have, let us know. If you think we're a couple of (laughs) yo-yos. Right. Let us know. Reach out to us. Facebook, Twitter, join the Discord. Let us know what's going on. But, Eric, uh, we've got something really exciting to get into for the Indie Showcase. Dude, it's been such a ridiculous ridiculous week for news this is i'm like this past week is just like it is the reason that i love june so much the news cycle the announcements and everything like that you know we know in and amongst everything else we know that those two magical words are going to appear somewhere shadow drop yeah man uh our friend tony grayson from summit sphere reached out last thank you, tony. week thank you tony and tony said hey man we are at summit sphere publishing this game to the nintendo switch called anna lynn which is going to shadow drop during the gorilla collective showcase and he thought of all in uh, as the perfect place to spotlight this game we celebrate indie games Every single week here, Tony has been on this show talking about Anton Blast. He's been yeah. on Keep Nintendo Weird. He's become a friend, and he thought of us for this. And it was a, it was a great honor to not only get to spotlight the game on our YouTube channel, um, but get connected with the game's creator, Cruz Elroy, and sit down for a chat that you're going to hear right now. All right, dear listeners, we've got a very special guest joining us on the show this week in the Indie Showcase. Uh, just released Shadow Drop during the Gorilla Collective Annalyn, which we were uh, honored to spotlight on the YouTube channel, get to talk to the game's creator right here, right now. Please welcome to All In, Cruz Elroy. Yay! <laughs> Hey guys. <laughs> Woohoo indeed. How you doing, sir? Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to speak with us about Annalyn. Yeah, I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? I had no complaints. You know, just getting to, to play, you know, some awesome arcade style games over here. So not really any complaints on mm-hmm. this side of it. I mean, any day is a good day when you're playing an arcade game. That's what I say. That that's, a, <laughs> that's put right. that on a bumper sticker. That's a good prerogative. You got your priorities straight. <laughs> I respect that. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. And we uh it, it's been so cool because like 
getting the the message from the one and only Tony Grayson, you know, <laughs> every, we, that, that's a guy that that we've heard of once or twice. I kind of I, I like Tony. Okay, I'll keep him around. He's a pretty decent dude. Uh, he DM'd me last week and introduced me to this game. Said, "Hey, this is Shadow Dropping Anna Lynn during Gorilla Showcase and." We want, you know, to, to work with All In. We All In celebrates indies, and this is a great, you know, game for you guys to cover. And I want to hook you up with the game's creator and got to meet you. And uh, and it's it's been really cool. And I guess just to set the stage for us a little bit, Cruz, for those who are not familiar with you and Annalyn, uh, who are you and what is Annalyn? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So I am Cruz Elroy. I'm an independent developer. Um Annalyn started as a project I made in 2016 for a little game competition. Um, the goal was simply just to make any game from scratch um, and lasted two weeks. I haven't done any independent games around that time. So I thought, you know, doing something original for that could be fun. Um, and at the time I was also getting on a new kick for Namco arcade classics as well. Cause I grew up playing the Namco museum games on, you know, GameCube and those kinds of consoles from that era. So I was getting into that again as well because I haven't touched that in a while. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of um, NES style games out there, but I haven't really seen any do anyone do um, arcade style games that much in particular. So I thought that would be a fun aesthetic to go for. Um, so, you know, 2016, I finished that. And then about four years later, I was thinking, you know what? It'd be fun to remake this too because I've done, you know, just a bunch of different things since then. So having a remake of this really old tiny game could be a fun thing to do for a little side project. And then uh, lo and behold, it kind of became the main thing I'd be focusing on for <laughs> the next year or so. And even after launch um, the next two, even right now. So yeah, just kind of my loving little homage to arcade games and, you know, still, still keeping it strong too. Cause um, it's been fun updating it. And I just want to, you know, keep the love going for that as long as I can. And I think the, Switch release that we had just yesterday too is probably the culmination of that too for as far as updates go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I've got to say it's especially as somebody who grew up playing a lot of those old coin op games. Like I recognized the font immediately. I recognized the screen aspect ratio. Like there's so many clear, uh, uh, like there's so many clear markers of those old mid '80s arcade games, but as easy as it is to see a lot of the influence and to see a lot of the, the love lettery type language that you use to other arcade classics. How do you describe Annalyn to other people when you're talking about it? Um, hmm. well, I would, I would basically say, you know, just if we want to get as basic as basic can get, think Pac-Man, but as a 2d platform instead of a maze chase game. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. you know, obviously I, I would like to think once you play it, you'll start to see more influence even beyond just Pac-Man. Like, yeah, I'm taking particular inspiration from the whole arcade library from the 80s. You know, Donkey Kong, Mappy, Dig Dug, all those classics there. Exactly. Yeah. And those are when you play the game, like those are all very, very obvious once you get to kind of those aspects of the inspiration. And yes, it's you know, the, the Pac-Man influence is very front and center for a lot of people. But uh, I love seeing especially like with the vines and the pickaxe, which is very reminiscent for me of like the old DK hammer and just seeing all the, the other little things. I'm like, oh, that's from that. Oh, that's oh, that's so cool. I always mm-hmm. like that. That was one of my favorite parts about the game is just noticing like the little things. I was like, "Oh, this is this isn't just this; it's so many other things." And 
uh, it's it's really nice to see developers, especially, because uh, I, I completely agree with you. There's a lot of retro nostalgia going on right now, and a lot of it is kind of centered around like the NES and the 16-bit era. Uh, but it does feel like those 80s arcade co- uh, coin-op machines are kind of getting forgotten in a lot of respects. So it's great to see titles like this. Um, yeah, I agree. And if anything, I think, you know, there's kind of some more appreciation going on for that too lately. Um, you know, Donut Dodo is probably another big example that comes yeah, to mind yeah. that takes a yeah. lot of inspiration from those games. And uh, Murtop came out recently too, which is a mix between Dig Dug mm-hmm. and Bomberman. So it's kind of nice seeing more games take more inspiration from arcade classics too. Yeah, it's it's cool to see like it, what's nice about Anilin is that it just like it feels right, you know, like right away. Like it ju- it doesn't feel like this is somebody just doing like some sort of facsimile of like an arcadey experience or this like it it feels like it could have existed in an 80s arcade. I like I feel like I could have rolled up to an arcade as a kid and played something like Anilin, even though there's some like kind of especially like the game's final boss and stuff like it's kind of like <laughs> little over the top compared to something like Pac-Man. All right. But it's still, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty like it feels true. It's got a very kind of like elegant design, satisfying gameplay. And, um, I, that's, that was what impressed me just kind of immediately. Like the second I got hands on it, uh, it's, it's easy to see kind of what the inspiration was and, and how you've just act like just, 100% nailed it. And one of the things that I think is, I, I talked about that elegant game design, that simplistic arcadey game design. It is essentially a one button game like those games are. Um, now new ideas and, and sort of like stage gimmicks are put in throughout the course of it, but was it kind of hard to like keep the game design as simple and sort of clean as those old arcade games were? Or was that always kind of the vision? Uh, well, I definitely ha- had that in mind for the goal of just keeping everything as basic as possible because, you know, a lot of the draw from the arcade games, at least to me personally, is, you know, you can look over someone's shoulder and just, you know, just instantly pick up on, you know, what the gameplay is about. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, keeping the keeping the mechanics as simple as possible was important to me for that. Um, and you mentioned, too, that the game is more or less just a one-button game, too. Um, that kind of proved to be a bit difficult when... um during the final boss, you know, you, after, after spending the whole time, just, you know, basically, um, avoiding the enemies by jumping over them, um, and only getting the occasional Ruby to deal with them. Mm -hmm. I wanted the pickaxe to, you know, kind of be like the, like, you know, this is the moment, this is where you can finally push back against these guys that have been, you know, tormenting you for the entire game. Um, (laughs) and you know, I, it was, it was, it took a while for me to iterate on that because, you know, like I said, I wanted this to just be a one-button game, keep it as you know as simple as possible. So, working in how the power ports in particular did take a while just to not put in a second button. I did come close to it, but I think I found a way to make it work that you know feels intuitive and also is just satisfying to use as well. Yeah, and you know, kind of going along that same line. Uh, Obviously, when it comes to simplicity, sometimes it can be hard to strike the right balance because you're, you know, when a game focuses on just a couple things, in this case, you know, you know, the the 2D action platforming and the avoidance mostly of uh, the snakes, 
Uh, I, I love the names, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but when it comes to just focusing on those couple things, is it hard to like really balance that out in terms of how fast the character can run, how effective is the jump, and uh, like how big is the hitbox, and you know, little things like that that could vastly, vastly change up the gameplay if they're tweaked just a little bit one way or the other. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, when I was first putting together this version of the game, um, I'm talking talking specifically about the Steam and Switch releases here, not the 2016 prototype is like to call it. Um, I I spent most of the time just tweaking the values, like you know, how fast does the character run? How high can she jump? How long can she stay in the air when she jumps? Things like that. And you know, even just a slight little tweak to that, making it just you know a little bit faster, a little bit slower, it would just lead to a completely different game feel. So. You know, before I moved on to anything else, it was important to me that, you know, it all just connects right away and, you know, um, it has just the right balance to it. Because if you change it much later in development, um, you know, there, there's a there's an option once you beat the game to essentially let you cheat and use double your speed. Um, and, you know, what, what, it's it's much more apparent that way. But, you know, even small tweaks, like after everything is already set in place then that just leads to a knock-on effect of, you know, everything just feeling different, even for the, even for the small things that you don't think would affect it that much. So, you know, I'd say, I'd say for that, yes, it's absolutely important to nail that right away before you do anything else, because even if you don't think it will change much, it, it absolutely will change a lot then. Was it a, like just a bunch of trial and error? Did you like go through long stretches where you felt like you had the right balance and then, you know, you just, you keep play testing it and just eventually you had to be honest with yourself or were you able to, you know, as you continue to develop, you know, the steam and the switch version of the game, did, you know, did you feel kind of zeroed in for how you wanted the game and to be able to, to, to nail the arcade difficulty, but still make it approachable to modern audiences. Right. I, I at least have the, you know, blessing of foresight for having, um, you know, the original prototype version being, you know, up to four years old by the time I was working on this remake here. So having mm-hmm. reference material for what worked and what didn't work definitely helps a lot, especially in the context of when that was already finalized. Um, yeah. But even so, there there was still just a lot of small little tweaks. Now, it's it's not even like big tweaks necessarily. It's just small little things that you know probably only I would notice. But it's important <laughs> for me to get that right too because it's even if it's something that other players don't pick up on, I feel like they can at least feel it. If you know what I mean, like subliminal. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like I there there are little tiny things about this game that I. That I really, I was talking to Eric about this last night. Like, I love, I, I'm a diehard Pac Man fan. Like, I love Pac Man, Miss Pac Man in particular. I'm a huge fan of that game. It's one of my, it would be in my top 10 all time. I adore that game. And perfecting a round in Anilin, I think because it's a platformer, because of the setup of the game, it is actually, and this is, you know, This might be big words, but I think it is more satisfying to do that in this game than it is in Pac-Man because you've created this, like this, this setup where you're just like your aniline creating pathways, navigating around, dodging the snakes, hitting the Ruby, and then not only just like doing what you would do in a Pac-Man game and just like circle back and like in Pac-Man, you eat them and in aniline, you like kick them. Um, Mm -hmm. but like. Just, just the, the way that that is set up, I think is just like 
way more satisfying. And so you've actually, in that way, I think improved upon like a classic, which is, which is really cool. Um, and one of the other ways that I think Annalyn is really successful is that accessibility because you've done something really elegant here that is, it's just kind of like one of those duh things. Like when I saw it, I was like, this makes perfect sense, which is when you die in Annalyn, you can just continue as much as you want. You're going to have your score. You're never going to get like a great score. But if you really want to just like power through and just like see your way to the end, you can do that. So like, I don't want people to be intimidated by like an arcade level of difficulty here. You can actually just experience the game and charge through if you really want to. I thought that was really smart. Yeah, absolutely. It's his version of putting another quarter in since you can't actually put more quarters into the Nintendo Switch as much as I'm sure Nintendo yeah. would love that feature. Um, <laughs> it was a feature I was considering, believe it or not, but you know, figuring out how <laughs> to even implement that was just too big of a donor. So, you know, <laughs> kind of was on the chopping block then. Actual monetary transposition. We'll get there one day. <laughs> I mean, if I'm making an arcade classic in the modern time, then exactly something like that, you know? Exactly. <laughs> Uh, speaking of arcade classics, if you don't mind, uh, I did want to ask one question uh, in terms of like a peek behind uh, the magician's cloth. But uh, we, we, we've made comparisons to, to Pac-Man. Of course, you've mentioned Pac-Man. Very famously, the AI for the four ghosts uh, works uh, in tandem, but the AI is all differently. I Can I ask, like, does the AI for the four snakes, does that work similarly or... Uh, like how did you, how, how did you kind of wrangle, uh, and consolidate those four enemies for this game in terms of the way they try to, to get to Annalyn? Yeah. Um, it was important that I have something like that too, because I've read in interviews with the, pa uh, Pac-Man's creator as well, that he described having, um, each of the ghosts having different AI for targeting you. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't necessarily describe that as a game mechanic, but more like giving each of the ghosts their own personality. And I, I think there was something about the way that was worded that just stuck with me. So I thought, mm -hmm. you know, having each of the snakes have their own way of dealing with you too, also tied into giving each of them their own personality as well. And I'd, I'd like to think the, um, you know, the, the art that you can see on the overlay kind of help, helps complement that as well. Just, you know, thinking of like, oh, you know, Randy, the red one, he's, he's, He's really angry at you, so he's just going to go straight <laughs> for you. But, you know, Handy's more of a clever one, the blue snake. So he's going to try and cut you off in the front before you can even get there. You know, just small things like that. And Candy's sweet. She just, she just wants to kiss you. That, that's all she wants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, I mean, you, you've clearly taken a step further because Inky, uh, Inky, Blinky, Pinky, and Clyde, they don't have hats. <laughs> that is true yeah the snakes do the snakes have hats 10 out of 10 mm -hmm. that, that actually <laughs> yeah. started as um just a way for me to figure out how to have some kind of colorblind accessibility too because you oh know, that's by that a good point call. i already had the colors figured out but you know obviously it's not going to be perfect but just running it through some filters shows that they all look pretty similar to each other too so and I, I didn't want to change the colors necessarily, so I figured a good solution for that was to give them each hats instead, and I think that worked pretty well in that regard. And I'm even surprised wow. that some people who don't, aren't even affected by it prefer to have the hats on as well. Oh, I'm people. Just cute. I love having the hats on. Yeah. Those are adorable. <laughs> just cute. And there's even <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> there's even uh, another one of the little touches you do, which I love, is 
you know, to, to kind of break up the gameplay a little bit in between each world. You know, there's a little, 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 uh, little narrative, little canon event, little, uh, little fluff going on. And there's something in- involving Snake getting a hat. And I was like, I kind of wish they'd kept it. Kind of wish that was <laughs> canon now. Yeah. And yeah, that, that kind of ties into, um, you know, giving each of them their own personality too. I think those intermissions, um, were, you know, important highlights for getting more insight into them. And it takes it from, you know, just these creatures into, you know, these own living beings that have their own ways of dealing with things. And again, that was something that, uh, they mentioned in Pac-Man interviews as well, how the intermissions helped break up the gameplay and add a bit of fun into, um, the experience as well. And, you know, that, that stuck with me. Yeah. I, you know, the, the, the amount of like personality that is in the game, I think really stands out and like, it's everything from the beautiful artwork, the stuff that is on like the, the bordering, you know, when you're playing the game, cause it is rendered and like, and, and I love that you do this. You haven't tried to like stretch it out into this gross, like widescreen aspect ratio. Like it is a proper arcade aspect ratio and the Nintendo switch version. You can even play it vertically, which is amazing. That's so good. And it like, it looks beautiful on the OLED screen. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at it that way, but it's gorgeous. I only have a Um, classic model, so I haven't, but I'm I'm glad to hear that it holds up well on the OLED model too. It's beautiful. The colors are just so vibrant and, uh, and I, and I love it, but, uh, I, you know, there's so much personality. And one of the things that has always been sort of a defining quality of, of Pac-Man, uh, just like in Pac-Man and Adeline, you get bonus uh, items. Um, in Pac-Man, it's fruit or, you know, keys or a Galaxian for some reason. And in Adeline, it's uh, breakfast food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I respect that. I I, I mean, I love breakfast food, so I'm I'm kind of curious, like how where where the breakfast food uh, decision came from with Annalyn. <laughs> well, it's the most important meal of the day, after all. She is clearly True. a Waffle True. House enthusiast, and I respect that. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, she she absolutely would be heading up Waffle House. Um, oh yeah. But yeah, and I mean, I, I kind of wanted to I want to kind of want to do like um, you know it starts with breakfast, and then in the later worlds it gets to you know more like lunch and dinner. So I wanted a little bit mm-hmm. of progression there, and then you know just like in Pac Man as well, then it gets into some weirder items too, like you know an, an Ace of Card, an, an Ace of Diamonds playing right. card, um, you know a star, headphones, e- even the Canadian flag is there. So you know she she ha- <laughs> she, ha- she clearly had some uh, pride from her nationality then. <laughs> I love that. I, I just love that little uh, that little bit of of progression. So so follow up question: What is is Cruz's favorite breakfast food, and what is Annalyn's canonical favorite breakfast food? Ooh, um, well, Anna's would be easy. Um, I, I'd say the blueberry muffin. You know, it's mm-hmm. the first yeah. one, but yeah. you know, I, I'd say she probably likes all kinds of muffins then. But blueberry just happens to be her particular favorite then. Um, as for me, it depends on what day you ask me. Um, you know, sometimes I'll just go for, you know, a bowl of cereal, but other times I really want, you know, a good waffle or a pancake. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good choice. I love it. I respect mm-hmm. that. Uh, I will say, you know, uh, this isn't just copying the game's code and putting it onto the Nintendo Switch. We've already talked about, uh, you know, the vertical mode, but in terms of bringing it to Nintendo's console, what other, you know, considerations did you have to make? And, and, and ultimately why did you decide to bring it to the switch? 
Well, the reason why I wanted to bring it to the Switch is simple. Um, you know, having making my own games has always been, you know, a dream of mine. But I think one step even beyond that was having it on an official Nintendo console as well. Because, you know, I grew up with the GameCube in particular. And that's kind of what me got, got me interested into games as a whole. So, you know, having something that pays tribute to that is just kind of a lifetime dream of mine. And, you know, now it's actually true, too. So that always helps. <laughs> um but, you know, other considerations, too, is that, you know, with PC, there's, you know, there's multiple kinds of ways to even experience the game. Like, you know, some players will want to play a full screen. Others might want to have it in window mode. Um, with Switch users, it's always going to be in one specific way that they see the action. But we still wanted to give them some options to, you know, spice it up a bit as well. And I think, you know, the vertical mode makes for a good fit for that, um, you know, like we talked about. Yeah, and you, uh, I love this that you also added a CRT filter, which I approve of very mm-hmm. much. Um, and then honestly, just little touches like, uh, you know, ultimately this still is a, a point chaser, very reminiscent of those old 80s coin-op arcade machines. So you're probably going to be inputting your initials in quite a few times. Just honestly, just that little touch of being able to set oh, so default initials. You have no idea especially with somebody whose initial starts with T just that oh, alone yeah. made be, me you'll be scrolling for ages to get that then just that alone yeah. just the ability to set default initials for the probably couple hundred times I'm going to be putting them into this game just that alone made me happy and was like oh thank you so much yeah exactly and you know that that ties into um how we can modernize the arcade experience as well because you know what for arcade machines anybody could be playing them so you kind of have to have default options in place then but with this, I'd like to think it's more, you know, play an arcade classic how you want to play it in particular. And I think that's another bottom line that I would go for if someone was asking me what this game is like. Um, just an arcade classic, but you're free to play it how you so choose. Actually, that brings up another good point because you, you know, there are cheats. There are separate ways to play the game, especially once you've gotten through it the first time. Um in terms of importing, in terms of incorporating stuff like that into the game, uh, did you think about incorporating those into like the first campaign proper, making maybe the the low visibility part of like the mine shaft section, or did was that always kind of the thought of uh, you know having these maybe more special circumstances part of? Uh, you know, part of a choosable way to play the part of a cheat that you could add to the game as opposed to part of the, the, the game proper. Um, yeah, I would say the cheats are more so in response to, um, you know, the game coming out afterwards and not necessarily features that were planned, but had to get cut. Um, the cheats are, you know, basically what they say on the 10, you can cheat in the game of it. Like, you know, get double running speed or have infinite jumps, but there's also ones that don't necessarily help you and just make the game, you know, more weird or interesting to play. Like, you know, there's one that changes the colors of every of the levels and also makes the snakes invisible when you get a bonus item. And there's also one that, you know, like you said, makes the levels all dark and you have a spotlight around you. Yep. Um, And the reason I call them cheats is because, you know, that's another thing that's kind of missing from games nowadays. Um, Because in, Mm -hmm. in arcade titles from, more so from the 90s, not really from the 80s, but, you know, they had cheats in there as well. And, you know, they were just called cheat codes because, you know, enter a cheat code and then you can do this wacky thing. Um, so, yeah, that, that's just something that I feel is a bit disappointing that is missing from modern day games. They either 
don't have them or, you know, they don't really necessarily refer to them as cheats and more, just more like modifiers or something. And I don't know. I just, I just think calling them cheats is a bit more fun to me personally. I, I love that. Well, you know, we, we talked about the, the vertical mode, which is exclusive to the, the Nintendo switch version of the game. Another exclusive is a playable character, uh, a little character that we've talked about on this show before Anton, Dynamite Anton from Anton Blast that is upcoming. And of course, uh, the Switch version of the game published by our friends at Summit Sphere. I got to know the story behind that. How did you get linked up with Summit Sphere for this? Um, yeah, it's pretty interesting, actually. So, um, you know, like I said, I was working on this in 2020 for the remake in particular. Um, and uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it was one of my friends that suggested I had submitted to Sage, which um, for those of you who don't know, stands for Sonic Amateur Games Expo. It's a fan mm-hmm. event held every year for people showcasing their Sonic fan games, demos, hacks, and more. But they allow indie stuff to be showcased there, too. So I thought, you know, that would be a fun thing to do. Um, I almost I was considering if I wanted to do it for not, and it actually was kind of a last-minute decision for me to submit a demo there as well. But in the end, I'm very glad that I did because that gave me just so much valuable feedback and, you know, a got of attention on the game early on too, which I felt important going into the steam release initially. Um, and, you know, it helps too, because uh, <laughs> the way they categorize it for um, Sage, at least for the year that I attended was in alphabetical order. So, <laughs> you know, having the game starting with an A was a good way to get a lot of people have attention on it early on. <laughs> Not intentional, but, you know, it's funny how it worked like that. Yeah. Like a Bob Ross happy little accident. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and wouldn't you know, right next to that was a little game called Anton Ball Deluxe. They had their demo for that the year <laughs> as well. Um and, you know, of course, me being a huge arcade nerd, I had to check out as well. And I thought the mix between, you know, Breakout, but as a 2D platform with a Wario shoulder bash was pretty cool. So, you know, <laughs> I, I played it. I told Tony, said, hey, cool game. And he said, hey, you got a cool game, too. And then we just kind of, you know, started talking from there. And Did we you know, just become best today. friends kind of thing? Uh, more <laughs> or less, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I was I, I was like, how... How do these two, because it does feel like a match made in heaven. Like it feels like the kind of game, like if Summit Sphere is going to publish something like externally that way, that feels perfect. And, uh, and Anton fits right into the game. He's got a custom intro, which is incredible, uh, has like his own suite of palette colors. And like, I just, I just love that he's in here. It just, it feels natural and I'm, I'm. I suspect I know what the answer to this is, but I just would not be doing my journalistic due diligence if I didn't ask. Could we potentially see the uh, the returning of the favor in Anton Blast? Anna Lynn perhaps as a playable character in that game? <laughs> well, um, maybe not as a playable character per se, but um, I will say that you probably can look forward to her as a little background cameo perhaps somewhere. So mm-hmm. keep your eyes Very nice. That. <laughs> running around in the background being chased by four snakes. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then of course, of course they all just explode in usual Anton blast fashion as well. <laughs> Everything is kind of exploding. Let's be real. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was very important for both of us that, you know, this wasn't just, you know, a basic addition, just haphazardly thrown in there. We wanted to give him the full playable treatment, giving him his own custom intro cutscene, you know, custom palettes, all that stuff that you mentioned. Um, 
Yeah, I, I honestly couldn't think of a better publisher to take this up either. So I'm very grateful for Summit Sphere for giving me this opportunity in the first place. Well, if you ever need any uh, other characters for you know to to join Annalyn, I hear Nintendo podcasters make for great guest spots. <laughs> no, but great uh, playable, characters. great playable. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll but, be sure to uh, hit you up at some point in the future. Then, <laughs> oh, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate. I'm I'm a very proficient jumper back in my military days. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, it seems like an obvious question and an obvious next step for Annalyn for a game that was made really made to be an arcade machine in this day and age where arcade machines at the consumer level are kind of starting to find an audience again. Have there been any conversations around that? Sorry. Could you repeat the question? Uh, basically Annalyn physical arcade men, uh, arcade cabinet win. <laughs> um, I can't make any promises. Um, I have no idea if it ever will happen, but it is absolutely something I would like to look into at some point because I think getting a physical real cabinet that people can play the game on would just kind of, you know, be the cherry on top of the cake. Um, although if you ever, if you ever do find, um, a polycade cabinet, they're, they're also a company that specializes in arcade multi cabinets for little indie games. Annalyn does appear on those as well. So, you know, for now, if you want your fix, you can find that as well. And, you know, I'm sure that'll satisfy. Nice. Very, very nice. That's cool. Well, speaking of physical stuff, is there, uh, let me, let me ask you this. Cause we love collecting, you know, physical, yep. uh, games on the Nintendo switch in particular. Is there a, you know, a conversation? Is there, do, do I need to go bug Tony about this? Who would I talk to to get, to get Annalyn on my shelf? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think pestering Tony about that would be a good idea. Definitely. Yes. <laughs> good. Um, good. Well, I'm we'll sure do. he's listening. So Tony. Tony. Oh yeah. Hi Tony, by the way, I know you're listening. <laughs> Um, noted, but yeah, um, that, that's something that we are considering too. We don't, we don't know exactly how we're going to do it. Um, but having some sort of way to pick up a physical copy is definitely something that we would like to consider at some point. It's not, not really yeah. in the plans for now per se, but some point in the future, definitely we'd like to. Yeah. That'd be awesome. I, I really, I'm, I'm kind of desperate to be honest with you to get more Annalyn merch because <laughs> I mean like, yes, the Yeti has like the shirts and the stickers and stuff and that's great. But I'm like, I need plushies. Like I need, there's so, you know, there's so much character here. I, I want to own more of it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I, I think if I don't get a plushie at some point, then people will come looking for me. <laughs> right. That, that, that's yeah. absolutely been the number one ask that I've gotten in terms of physical merchandise is, you know, when am I going to get plushie of Annalyn or any of the snakes? A thousand percent. You absolutely have to do the snakes with the hats. When you do the <laughs> Oh, yeah. The they they got to come with those as well. Definitely. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Well, we uh we we love we love the game absolutely. Another thing that that should be notated about the game is how inexpensive it is. Like the asking price of this game on the Switch eShop is only $5. So like for the amount of content that is in here, all of the updates that you've added to the game, uh, you, you've come correct with the amount of stuff in here. You've got achievements, you've got an unlockable Anton in the game. You do have to unlock him. He's not just there from the outset. You do have to do at least a little bit of legwork <laughs> to, to unlock it. Another throwback. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. at, yes. least for, at least for modern sensibilities. Uh, 
but I just love that. Yeah, I, I do like too. I, it's it's a rarity in modern games to even have unlocks at all. It was it, so like, it was a very happy hour when I unlocked Anton. I'm just gonna. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> yeah, that, that's another thing that um you know I took inspiration from Namco Museum too. Um, if we're specifically like for the modern kind of sensibility for Namco Museum, because in some of the games, not all the machines were unlockable either. Like. I remember on one of them to unlock Pac-Mania, you had to get a high score of, I think it was like 50,000 on Pac-Man. And then to unlock Galaga 88, you had to get, you know, a pretty high score on Galaga as well. So, you know, they don't, they don't come straight out of the box, but in a way I like having things that you have to work forward to um, Mm -hmm. instead of just having everything from the get go, because yes, it is an arcade game that just has like a pretty straightforward, you know, start to end that will probably only take you a half hour. um, If not a little bit longer. Um, But yeah, I, I think having unlockables is, you know, just a good way to want you to get coming back for more, too, because, you know, like you said, you can unlock multiple palettes for all the characters as well. Um, and I, I think having, you know, you know, if, if I could just brag for a little bit here, <laughs> I, th- I think having um, getting a perfect score in a level by doing everything that there is to do and not making a mistake, I think that not only... Um, makes a fun little reward to look forward to, but I think, I think it helps you get better at the game too. So, you know, once you do that, then you're going to be able to do another full run even better than the last time and get a, you know, an even higher score than that, you know, just little things like that, that I think just, um, you know, it helps, um, increase the longevity of the game overall compared to, you know, just a regular arcade game that you play and that's it, you know? Yeah, and for anybody looking to get those those perfects on the levels, I will I can confirm getting a perfect on a level means that you cannot die, means that you have to collect every ruby, means that you have to collect the bonus item when it shows up, and it means that you have to get every snake. <laughs> yeah, every snake, every time you collect a ruby, you have to get all four of them before they uh before they become invulnerable again. So, that's it's very satisfying though. Like I, I love doing that. I've gotten to the point I'm working towards that achievement to do three perfect, uh, stages in a row. Three in right a now. row is nuts. Yeah. I can, I can do the first two pretty comfortably. That third one trips me up though. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think, I think three is just the right amount to, you know, make it a challenge to work for, but it's also not too devastating if you mess up on, because right. I think, I think yeah. if it were four, then that would just be kind of pushing the stress a little bit too hard. Cause you got to carry it over into two different worlds then as well. Whereas, you know, with this, you can right. do it in one if you play your cards, right? Yeah. It's something yeah. that could theoretically be done in just a few minutes. If you're good enough, that's the question. But I do, I do really appreciate that. You know, there's a lot of the, the difficulty in gaming is, especially with the rise of, you know, souls like games, it's been, you know, a big talking point. And when it comes to arcade style difficulty, I think it's a very different beast altogether. And it is nice to see games kind of embrace that style of challenge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with games that, you know, just take hours and hours to beat either. Like I'm still chipping away at a legend of Zelda tears of the kingdom. Oh, that yeah. came out, I think a mm-hmm. month ago at this point, and there's still just so much for me to do in that. But I, I do agree that uh, having smaller games that have, you know, more bite-sized challenges in them are very important too, because, you know, you can just pick up and play and when you're done, you know, you can just get out of it pretty easy too. 
Yeah, no, it's it's great. We we love the game. And again, this is kind of like a a crescendo moment for Annalyn. It's the the game's been out for a couple years on PC and you've done all these updates and now we have this exciting new Nintendo Switch version with exclusive features and it's and it's great. I'm curious and I don't know if this is even something you're you're ready to talk about yet, but but um I mean, what's next? Are you continuing to update Annalyn? Is this the the final version or are you ready to move on to the next big thing? Well, I can say this definitely isn't the final version. Um, okay. okay. <laughs> there, there's tons more that I want to do at some point. Um, All in appearances confirmed. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> then it'll be done. Um, <laughs> then it's then it's finished. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Officially out of um, early access at that point. <laughs> right. Yeah. Th- this is just the preview right here. We're not done exactly, yet. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, there, there's tons of other stuff that I want to work on too. Like, um, Having a dedicated real-time multiplayer mode is one thing that I want to do. Um, oh, okay. that's, that's going okay. to be a while to figure out. Um, still in the pipeline, but that that is like just one thing that I want to finish before I consider the game done. Like, I, I think mm-hmm. in terms of this game in particular right here, there's still plenty of um, updates that we could do to keep the game going for years now. But yeah, I I definitely do want to do more than just this game. Not make it just like one singular title for her but more like you know just the start of something even bigger for sure yeah no you can you you've got a great you know world there with with Annalyn and I I would love to see it uh continue well Cruz I uh we we've got a, a sort of final question that we ask all of our um all of our guests whenever we have the pleasure of talking to an independent developer and we did ask Tony this as well when he was here so um th- this is something we like to ask everybody if you could make a game if if Nintendo came up to Cruz Elroy and said you can make a game based on any of our IP what would you choose and why yeah this this is always a question that I think about myself too and every time I'm always just <laughs> you know left wondering what could I do um, mm-hmm. if I had to do not necessarily one series, but one game in particular, it would absolutely have to be the Mario versus Donkey Kong series. Um, yes. and not, nice. not before they introduced the minis, you know, th- those, those games are perfectly fun puzzle games too. I'm talking about the original on the Game Boy Advance where it was just Mario yes. and Donkey Kong reliving mm-hmm. the classics with the, you know, original Donkey Kong arcade experience and everything. Um, Yeah. I've, I've always wanted to see them just uh, butt heads with each other again. And, you know, I, th- I think being able to remake a game like that would just be absolutely a blast to work on. You'd be good at that, too. You would like if they like if they contacted somebody for that. I feel like you could crush that. That's actually. the movie game we deserved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah, appreciate man. hearing that. I love it. Awesome. Well, Cruz, if uh, anybody wanted to keep up with with you and Annalyn, uh, how would they find you online, my friend? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm most active on Twitter. You can follow me at at it's Cruz Elroy, all one word. Um, that's where that's where I keep most of the updates for the game, and also just personal, you know, tweetings of other things related to her as well. Like, you know, I like to make some artwork of her as well for other plans in the future, and also just for fun too, which you know again, helps with uh, keeping the characterization alive. Um, but yeah, and if, if people want to ever find me, they can find me on Twitter there. Once again, it's um, at it's Cruz Elroy. 
Awesome. And of course, links to that are going to be in the uh, the show notes as well. So you can follow Cruz and uh, keep up with Annalyn. Again, pick up the game on the on the Switch eShop available now for only $5. If you want to see the game in motion, it's on our YouTube channel. A uh, little bit of me playing it poorly uh, on the YouTube channel. You can <laughs> You're check fine. That out. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it, it I, yeah, I managed. I managed. But it was uh, it, it was an absolute honor to uh, to get to spotlight the game in this way to to get to uh, to, to sort of you know meet you and talk with you and and it's been an absolute pleasure. So let's roll out the red carpet one last time for Cruz Elroy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Channeling Anton there for a little. I respect that. Uh, great game, man. Good luck with everything in the future. Can't wait to see what Annalyn brings next. Mm-hmm. Thank you, guys. Happy to be here. Well, that was a great chat with Cruz about Anna Lynn. Again, links in the show notes to everything. Cruz Elroy to Anna Lynn. Pick up the game. It's only five bucks. And I'm telling you, you won't regret it. It's super fun. If you like these arcadey experiences, absolutely show Cruz your support. He deserves it. Yeah. I mean, five bucks. But make sure to follow. Yeah. Five bucks. Make sure to follow him on the Twitter. Uh, make sure to follow everything that they're doing. I mean, because like you said, he doesn't think the game's done yet. So whatever updates, whatever additions that they're going to wind up making to Anna Lynn, make sure to follow them on social media so you don't miss any of that news. And speaking of news, we're constantly dropping our own news and announcements. I'm pretty sure they're announcements. I think I have a fundamental mm. misunderstanding of the word, apparently. No comment. Uh but we're constantly doing our own stuff so make sure to follow us at all in podcast on facebook on twitter join our amazing community over in the discord we would love to have you over there and make sure to like and follow our youtube channel youtube.com slash all in podcast where of course every friday evening at 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific we go over this entire past week in nintendo news which is a lot of work in June, ladies and gentlemen. It's a lot of work in June, but we do it for all of you. We put together so much content for you guys each and every week. And amazingly, we have enough energy to put together exclusive content each and every week for our patrons. Somehow we do it for the amazing (laughs) friends and supporters at patreon.com slash all in podcast. Hey, you know, it's funny. We are not exclusively Nintendo content creators, if you really think about it, because on All In Side Quest, we're covering everything else, baby. That's our non-Tendo yeah. podcast. So we've been breaking down over there for our Golden Banana and Triforce tier supporters at patreon.com slash Podcast. They get exclusive access to All In Side Quest, where we've been breaking down all of the press conferences, like Summer Game Fest, like Day of the Devs and Devolver Digital. Next week, we'll be hitting Xbox. We'll be hitting Ubisoft. So, I mean, Eric and I kind of cover everything if you're a patron so head over there patreon.com slash all in podcast get discounts on our merch at bit.ly slash all in podcast or sorry bit.ly slash all in merch is the is the link for that and you can grab yourself a shirt grab yourself a mug grab yourself a sticker throw a couple of bones our way for our hard hard work we really appreciate it but hey if you don't have any bones to throw away that's okay too you can drop some words entirely for free on apple podcast pod chaser and audible i'll read them here on the show i swear i'll do it and you can leave us anonymous (laughs) five-star reviews on spotify help us climb the ranks help us take over nintendo podcastery we appreciate you very much podcastery Mm-hmm. It's a word. Podcast. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys so much for for supporting uh, All In for all of these uh, 
Yeah, like for three all these years, years now. now. Coming up on three years now. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for your support these past three years. Uh, for all of you amazing patrons, for all of you who have dropped words on whatever podcasting service you happen to listen to all in on, and to all of you who have just shared our content or told them about or told your friends about them at school while wearing your all-in shirt. <laughs> if if you're doing that, we love and appreciate all of you guys. Thank you so, so much. Just want to send out an extra special namaste to you. You know who namaste. you are. Namaste. Indeed. Another one down. A great episode. Uh, had a lot of fun this week, guys, but uh, we've got even more coming next week. Got a very special indie showcase happening next week that is a top secret. You guys will hear all about it in due mm-hmm. time. Uh, in addition to that, there's all kinds of showcases happening from it's, the wholesome. It's still June. It's oh yeah, oh it's still very much June. We've got the wholesome games direct happening this weekend. We've got surely some news coming out of Ubisoft. Uh, you know, we got the Capcom direct Capcom oh, showcases God. happening. I mean, like we we Capcom, just got so you much. had you had the, the Monster Hunter thing. You've got another Cap. Kid, chill out, Capcom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's. It's no sleep for us, sir. No sleep. No sleep for us. No, (laughs) but we do it all for you guys. So it's hard to complain too much, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still after this past week with Mortal Kombat, just everything else. I, I just, I still with no sleep in my eyes, I still can't wait to see what this next week holds for us and for this industry. Super excited to meet you guys on the other side of it. We will see you right back here next Saturday for another brand new episode of All In Podcast. But until then, I have been Contra 3, the Eric Wars. And I have been We Love Sethamari Reroll plus Royal Reverie. We'll see you next week. We love you very much. Bye! Bye! Bye!